Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. We are in week number two of our series called Summer Baggage. And what we're doing is we are looking at the baggage that we carry that often we don't realize, that we are dragging into relationships, that we're taking with us into work. As you saw the video, he's like laying in bed and he has this baggage between him and his wife. And so we're talking about these things that we carry, these weights that we carry that honestly get in the way of our purpose that stop us in our relationships and hinder us from being all that God would have us be. And so we need to get rid of the baggage if we're going to run the race that God has for us. And so our theme verse is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is kind of our verse for every week of this series. And this is what it says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, the idea being that there's been many people who've gone before us in the faith. Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter preceding this, talked about all of these heroes of the faith from Moses to Noah to all these people. And it's almost as though they're in the grandstand of heaven and they are witnessing what's happening now on the earth as we have the baton as the next generation of Christ followers. And so since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith, here's the part we're going to zero in on, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily entangles us. See that there's two categories here. We've got weights that are holding us back and we've got sin that's entangling us. We need to get rid of both, okay? Now you say, well, this doesn't seem like a sin. It's a, if it's a weight, we've got to get rid of it. And then it says, here's why. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And last week we spent the entire message letting you know, guess what? God loves you. He has a purpose for you. There is a race that he has for you to run and it's not a short one. It's gonna require some training. It's gonna require endurance. It's gonna not always feel good. It's gonna be a challenge. You're gonna wanna quit. You're gonna wanna get discouraged. Uh, how many of you have ran a marathon? Anybody? Oh, yes, there's a couple of you. You know the pain of 26.2 miles when your body turns on you and you try to tell it what to do and it says no. <laughs> I've done two marathons. I don't know if I'm doing another. They were both bad. The one in 2008, you'd think, yeah, 23-year-old Alex, killing it. No, he about died in Chicago. And then I ran it again a couple years ago to praise God. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was horrible. But this idea... <laughs> We are to run with endurance the race God has before us. And the race isn't always easy. He never promised that it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows and it's going to be a simple life. God never promised to make your life easy. In fact, if anything, he called you out of comfort into discomfort so that you could become. And if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't normally change you. And a lot of what God's trying to do is change you because what you were wasn't good and what he wants you to become is way better. And so sometimes he allows there to be circumstances and situations that come up in your life that cause you to have to to develop. They cause you to have to lean into faith and lean into the strength of God, not into your own strength. And so the next part of our verse says, here's how we do this. Here's how we run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this in verse number two. It says, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. See, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, 
disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Good news. The best person ever at racing, the champion, the best of all time, the goat was Jesus. And as we fix our eyes on him, we will find endurance. We will find strength. We will learn how we are to run this race. So the responsibility to take off the weights we see in this verse is it says, let us strip ourselves of this weight. We are responsible to get rid of the baggage. But the problem is when we don't realize we're carrying it. We don't realize that we're carrying it. And so I'm just going to get started. Uh, we, let's do this. Um, Chris, can you come up? If you guys did not get a set of these notes, I want you to make sure you can get those. You can raise your hand if you didn't get them. Also, if you didn't get communion elements, which I'm going to need one of those, my friend, we're going to take communion a little bit later in the service. So I want to make sure you guys all have these. So as he walks down the aisle, if you need that, raise your hand. Um, on these notes, I didn't even do fill in the blank. I just said, I'm just going to give it to you so you can kind of tune in and pay attention. Um, there will be a couple things, I guess you can fill in the blank later, but we will get to that. And so um, that's just a, something to help you to get this message because I don't want to be as practical as I can. And here's the truth of the matter. In my years of ministry and just life, the baggage that I see most people carrying is the baggage of offense. I had thought that this was the message to bring uh, in the second week of the series for a while. And uh, even some recent things in my life happened, and I thought, man, maybe I shouldn't preach on this. People are going to think I'm just going to bring this message because of current events in my life. But I told my dad, I was like, I don't know, I'm kind of torn. Do I go with what I, I initially thought? And he's like, son, if God led you there, don't back off now. And I said, all right, that's all the courage I need. Here we go. So buckle up, strap in. The baggage of offense. See, you may be carrying the baggage of offense and not realize it. And I want to help you to recognize if you are carrying this. Um, just as your car has indicator lights on the dashboard, if your oil's low, it's going to let you know. If it's overheating, it's going to let you know. Um, women, if you need blinker fluid and you haven't replaced that light, you will have that little indicator light come on because you don't want to be stuck trying to make a turn and not able to do it. So, so just as your car has indicator lights that you need to pay attention to, we have indicator lights in our soul that let us know what's going on in our heart. And I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of times we don't recognize them as indicator lights because what your soul will do is your soul is going to give you some emotions. Ooh, emotions? Yep. Emotions are an indicator of where your heart is. And when it comes to the baggage of offense, if you are carrying it and you may not know it, here's the indicator lights that you need to look for in your life. First, is there any anger that you're carrying? Because anger is an indication that someone has done you wrong and you feel as though they owe you. The second emotion that you need to pay attention to is guilt. That's when you've done somebody wrong and you're feeling bad about it. Both are offenses. Offense is kind of a two-way street. There's others who offend us, but then there's also those people that we went and we offended. And whenever we have an offense, we're going to have two parties. We're going to have the offender and the offended. 
And the relationship is going to go from a relationship of cooperation into a relationship of dominance. Someone is going to take over. Someone is going to take advantage of someone else. And when this imbalance occurs in the relationship, the relationship moves into what we're going to call a debt-debtor relationship. Just as if I had stolen money from you, you would feel as though I owe you. And in the same way, if I did you wrong, you would feel as though I owe you something. And there's only two ways to resolve this tension that we would feel in this debt-debtor relationship. Number one is for me to pay up. It's for me to give you what you feel is owed to you. I can pay the debt off by giving to you what you owe. Or the only way to relieve this tension if we're not going to pay up is for you to cancel the debt. It's for you to say you no longer owe me. And we actually use this lingo when we talk about offenses. Have you guys ever noticed that? Well, he owes me an apology. He what? He, he owes me. Oh. Sometimes you, you think um, about maybe like a, a husband who has walked out on his family and gone with another woman and, and now he's living this other life. In his move, the offender normally doesn't think in terms of what he's taken away from anybody. The offender tends to think about what he's gained. Look, I found true love. Look, I have found happiness. I have gained something. But it's not until he comes back home on visitation hours that he begins to realize when his child looks at him and says, Daddy, where are you? Daddy, why do you not put me to bed any longer? Daddy, what's going on? That he recognizes that he's actually taken something from them. He's taken away a secure home. He's taken away his marriage. He's taken away a fatherly figure to be in that child's life. He's taken away something. And that dad, what's he tend to do when he has that realization that he's taken something? He tries to make up. He tries to pay the debt. Oh, man, we're going to go to Worlds of Fun now. Oh, I'm going to take you to Disneyland. Oh, here's a pony. You know, like he's going to try to make up for the offense. And so let's take a moment to explore this idea of anger. See, people who don't get what they think they deserve are angry. If you don't believe me, we can go get my two-year-old from the nursery, and he will let you know that when he doesn't get what he wants, he is angry. (laughs) He does this thing where if I say no to him, his little lip comes out, and his arms start to turn like this, and he's tense. (laughs) And I'm like, buddy, chill out. And no, I didn't get what I want. And he's angry. It's something that's in us just from birth almost. When we don't get what we want, we're angry. And when we become adults, when we don't get what we want, we become angry. All the people who are married in the room have experienced this thing where they didn't get exactly what they wanted at some point in time. And that led to anger. There's the person at the workplace. Maybe it was you. And there was an opportunity for a promotion. Oh, it's going to be the job you always dreamed of. You've got an opportunity. So you go and talk to your boss and you're like, hey, I want to apply for this. I want to get into this job. I want to do this. This would be so helpful for my family. It would be such a blessing from God. And then two months go by of you working overtime and you find out that your boss took the promotion that you wanted. What are you? angry. How could he treat me that way? After everything I did to go behind my back, 
The anger is rooted in the fact that you didn't get what you wanted. No matter what the story is, and no matter if it was justifiable or not, you at the core didn't get what you want, and so you're angry. Have you ever had someone cut you off in traffic? You, then it was you that cut me off. <laughs> you didn't get what you wanted. You wanted space, and that guy cut you off. You ever had that motorcycle drive too close to your car, too fast, pop the wheel in front? I don't like this. I'm, I'm not getting what I want. I want a safe drive without having to see that ridiculousness. I don't want to watch a guy crash and burn. Like, there's anger when we don't get what we want. And angry people, here's what they feel. Angry people feel like somebody owes them. It's really important to get this. When you are angry, you feel as though someone owes you. They have done you wrong and they owe you. Angry people feel like something has been taken from them. And if you show me an angry person, I will show you a hurt person. Something has been taken from me. You took my reputation. You, you stole my family. You took the best years of my life. You stole my marriage. You robbed me of my teenage years. You robbed me of my purity. You, you owe me a raise. You owe me a second chance. You owe me affection. Oh, oh, oh. Rob, rob, rob. Something's been taken from me. And anger demands payback. The internal belief is that people ought to pay for what they owe. And here's the irony, and, and maybe it would be better described as a tragedy, is that in most cases, the perceived debt that the angry person wants to be repaid can never be repaid. If your dad walked out on you when you were a child, there's no way for him to pay back the years that were taken from you. There's no way for him to pay that debt. And you walk through your life and you feel as though that guy still owes you and he may have even passed and you're still angry and you're still bitter and you're still carrying the baggage of offense and there's no way for that debt to be paid. Anger demands payback and the internal belief is that they owe me but they can never repay me which makes this even worse. And here's the problem with anger is that anger never stays stagnant. It always grows. Anger never stays isolated. It never stays focused on one person. Eventually, if you carry the baggage of offense long enough and you're angry, that anger isn't just towards that one person. All of a sudden, you're starting to be angry with everybody. And before you know it, everybody owes you something. Have you ever met somebody who's extremely angry? No matter how good you do, no matter how hard you try to please them, it will never be good enough because they've already determined before you try that you're going to fail. Because if you did it exactly as they wanted, you would steal the right that they have to be angry. So you're going to fail before you even start, because everybody owes me something. I'm angry. And here's the problem when we start to talk about this, is a lot of us right now have like that one person in our head that we know struggles with this anger. You know who they are. Yeah, I'm thinking about them too. But here's the challenge today is to not think about that person who is angry and got a problem and needs to be here and hear this message that you're going to forward the message to. <laughs> I want you to look at you. And is the indicators in your soul saying, you know what? I do have some anger. And I do feel as though I was wronged. And I do still feel as though this person owes me. I want you to look at your own heart and see if anger is residing there. 
because here's the deal. Anger is a heavy weight, and it gets heavier and heavier the more it lives in secrecy. The, the first step to ridding yourself of anger is, number one, to identify it and to bring it into the light. And the truth is, is that you can't undo what's been done. But you also don't have to let your past control your future. And you may not feel like it, but you actually have a choice in the matter. And you get to determine how long people who have hurt you continue to control your life. And listen, I get everybody has a story. And you're thinking, well, if you knew my story, you knew why I'm so angry. And here's the truth. If you told me your story, I might even agree with you and be like, man, that's horrible. But even if that story explains your behavior, that story doesn't justify or excuse your behavior. As long as a person wants their story to justify their behavior, they will always remain a victim. And a victim mentality will always open the door for a root of bitterness to take place. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. We looked at this verse during our Church of Ephesus series. But it says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and then I like this, it's just like, in case you miss anything, as well as all types of evil behavior. (laughs) Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. As a lot of you know, I'm a runner. There are a few things I hate about running. Um, Dogs, don't like dogs chasing you on a run. Number two, grasshoppers. I don't know if you've ever had a grasshopper jump up your shirt and get on you, but their little feet feel like they're biting you. It's horrible. I do not like it. Number three, you ever had to go to the bathroom on a run? It's the worst. And number four, have you ever ran through a spider web? Oh, my goodness. You're out in the woods, you're by yourself, and you are convinced that the spider that made that web is somewhere on your being. And so I can't tell you how many times I have freaked out when I've ran through a spider web. And it's crazy. Like if you were like across the street and you saw me, you would think I lost my mind. Good, perfect form. I'm looking good. I'm on my run. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting it off. And, it's, and then you get done and you still feel like there's an itch on your back. And you're like, I know. It's still that spider. And you're, you're pulling and you're... In the same way that when we would run through a spider web, we would do everything we can to get rid of the web and that spider we know is on us. That's the same attitude here. We've got to get rid of bitterness. We need to get rid of it, not eventually. I've never ran through a spider web and said, I'll deal with that later. Never! Are you kidding me? No, this is immediate action that needs to take place. And if you find that you have bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander and anything else that might fit in that category in your heart. We've got to get rid of it, and it's on you to get rid of it. Get rid- you have to get rid of it. And I'm going to help you today know how to get rid of it. Because some of you are like, I've heard this message before, Pastor Alex, and I know I'm supposed to forgive. Okay? Well, why haven't you? Why are you still carrying that anger? All right, we're going to help with that. It's going to be so good. Now, here's the truth. Um, the idea of forgiveness, it's pretty well accepted. 
You can go see a person who has no belief in God, go to a therapist, and they're going to help you walk down a path of forgiveness because for them, they think that it's therapeutic. It's in your best interest. However, the path that they're going to walk you down is one that is going to cause you to have to find someone to blame for all of your problems. We're going to start with blame because it can't be your fault, okay? So we've got to blame them so that you can kind of get free from this internal anger that you have. And then you're going to have to come up with a narrative that causes you to understand why this person hurt you and harmed you, and then you can write them off. And, And I'm just here to tell you that that's not how God teaches us to forgive, that attitude is completely self-centered. I've got this anger. I got to get rid of it. I got to make myself better. So I'm going to come up with a narrative to get rid of this. I, 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 I. It's utterly selfish. And when we look at how God is wanting us to move towards forgiveness, it is not from a selfish point of view at all. We have to realize that Paul, who is writing Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let's put that back on the screen for me. He is challenging us to forgive, not out of selfish motivation, but for a different reason. Notice verse 32. He says, we need to get rid of this. And instead, what we need to do is we need to be kind to each other, tenderhearted. And the emphasis here is forgiving one another. And he doesn't say forgiving one another because it's good for you. No, no. He says, here's how you should forgive one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. The call to us as Christians is to think differently. Instead of focusing on what has been done to me, I'm called by God to focus on what has been done for me. As long as you focus on what has been done to you, you'll never get forgiveness right. The Christian perspective is a mind shift from taking my focus off of the offense, placing it on Jesus, the champion, and saying, you know what? He's done for me. Of course I'll forgive. As long as I go, it's been done to me, I've got to justify this thing somehow and figure out why that person is deserving of forgiveness. They're never going to be deserving of forgiveness. As long as you're looking at them, you're never going to have true forgiveness and you're never going to get rid of the anger in your heart. But as soon as you can shift your eyes off of your problem and your past and onto Jesus, he can change how you think and you begin to see what was done for you. And when you realize what's been done for you, you'll never be the same. Jesus had this encounter with Peter. Peter is, you know, the big mouth in the group. He's always got an opinion, thinks he's smart, asks questions, and then like Jesus like backhand slaps him with parables. It's awesome. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Peter came to Jesus and he asked him, all right, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Seven's a number of perfection. God created the world in seven days. Let's go. I'm going to forgive him seven times. That's pretty good. It's better than once, better than twice. Yay, not even thrice. Seven times, Jesus. Seven times. Peter's like, that's pretty good. Have you forgiven somebody seven times? That's a lot. So he's like, hey, Jesus, how, how often should I forgive somebody who sends me seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times. How about 70 times seven? And then Peter's like, I didn't have math class. <laughs> what is this? And so Jesus, he doesn't even give chance. I'm sure Peter's face changed in that moment. I'm like, what? And Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. 
in the language of this, it was such an exorbitant amount of money, the guy could never make that much money in his entire lifetime, even if he tried. Like, it was just, it was a ridiculous amount of money. And so verse 25 says, he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned in order to pay the debt. There's a debt that's owed. We're going to take care of that. But the man fell before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Truth, he can't pay it all. Truth, there's not enough time. You're not going to live hundreds of years in order to make that kind of, like, no, but he, this is the art. Please be patient. I'll pay it all. Notice his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. Wow. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. You Venmo me right now. And his fellow servant fell down before him and he begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, well, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me? Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And don't miss verse 35. Jesus says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you, Peter, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. If you are thinking that God's forgiven you, but you can't seem to forgive, I'm just going to have to tell you, I'm not sure if you've really been forgiven. I'm not sure if you've really understood what forgiveness is. I'm not really sure if that connection point to God and stepping over the line of faith has taken place. If you feel like someone owes you, then forgiveness is the remedy for your anger. And you say, well, what is forgiveness? Don't miss this. Forgiveness is the commitment to cancel the debt. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a commitment that I'm going to continue to cancel the debt. It's a refusal to say, you owe me. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a commitment. And it's a commitment that I am not going to make this person pay. It's a commitment that I'm not going to bring up this offense with them again. I'm not going to bring up this offense with other people. I'm not going to talk bad about them. And it's a commitment that I'm not going to bring this offense up with myself. I'm not going to sit around and think about that and ponder on that. Forgiveness is not dependent on the other person's response. Forgiveness starts internally first. And a lot of people want to know, well, how do I know if I've forgiven? I think I would say this, that forgiveness is always granted before it's felt. 
So here's what I want to do. On the back of your notes, I want to give you some very basic steps if you've been carrying the baggage of offense. If you've been harboring anger in your heart toward another person. Number one, you need to identify who you're angry with. And so maybe on your paper, you just want to jot down their name right there. I'm a little irritated. uh, I'm angry with this person. Write down their name. And then the challenge for you is to determine what they owe you. What do you think it is? What was taken from you that you feel is owed to you? You need to write that out. And once you've determined what it is that you sense, that you perceive that debt is that's owed to you, you number three, you need to cancel the debt. If we were in youth ministry, what I would do, and we had a student years ago that did this, we passed out pieces of paper, and we had everybody write down the offenses that they had. And what we then did is it took it from this idea in their head and this floating bitterness that they had, and it became very real. Here it is. Uh, I remember one boy, he didn't have a lot of relationship with his father, but he's becoming a teenager, and so uh, he was angry that his, his dad wasn't a part of his life, and he had identified this. And so he wrote down that my dad, I feel, owes me my childhood. He owes me a safe home. He owes me these things. And so what we then did is that we did multiple things over the years. One time we had a trash can and we, and we, we burned them all. We canceled the debt. We got rid of it. Another time we had a cross. We brought it to the cross. We took a nail and we nailed it to the cross. We said it's going to die right here. No longer is this debt going to be owed. I am canceling the debt. And I would encourage you to do something similar. To make a move, not just in your head and in your thinking, but to be intentional about this and to remove this from you, to cancel the debt. And so I've given you on your paper a prayer that you can pray after you've answered those questions. And you can just simply say, Heavenly Father, let's say that John has hurt me. Heavenly Father, John has taken blank from me. And I've held on to this debt long enough. I choose to cancel this debt. And John doesn't owe me any longer. Jesus, just as you forgave me, I forgive John. It's a powerful prayer. It's a powerful move. And it's a commitment. It's not a one-time decision. Because tomorrow when you wake up and there's that little anchor, nope, I forgave him. I remind myself of what is true. I forgave him. And I want you to know this. And number four, I put it on here. You've got to dismiss the case. Because the devil's a liar and he's going to get you to believe that you didn't really forgive him. He's going to try to restir those old emotions again and again. And forgiving doesn't necessarily mean forgetting. It just means I ain't focusing on it anymore. The debt is canceled. Common question that people have asked me is they said, well, well, should I go tell the person that I'm forgiving that I've forgiven them? And I would say this, unless the person is asking for forgiveness, like if somebody asks you for forgiveness, really go ahead and say, yes, I forgive you. That's really healthy. But if the person who's offended you doesn't even know they've offended you, I don't think that it's probably going to be helpful for you to go up to your boss and knock on the door and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. Oh, yeah, hey, how are you? Hey, I just want to let you know I've forgiven you for that time. That you, like, it's not going to be beneficial, okay? <laughs> Cancel the debt. Let's not bring it up because it kind of comes across as accusatory. Part two, we've had anger, right? Big one to deal with. We got to let this go. And it entails so many things. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's baggage that we carry. And I'm telling you, as long as you hang on to it, you're going to never become all God wants you to become. We got to get rid of it. Number two, however, is where we need to realize that there's some guilt. 
And see, guilt is the result of being the offender. You've done someone else wrong and you haven't made it right. There's someone in the world who believes that you owe them. How do we take care of guilt? Well, some of you are like, well, I went and I asked Jesus to forgive me. Okay, cool. You got rid of part of your guilt, but you're still feeling guilty, aren't you? Because you didn't just offend God, you offended somebody else. And so you can make it right with God, but you still have to make it right with the other person. You say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't care what you want to do. It's not about you. It's about following Jesus. And he says to love him and love others. And just as I sought his forgiveness, I have to now seek forgiveness from other people. Yeah, but Pastor Alex, that's going to be hard. I know. It's going to cause you to have to humble yourself. It's going to cause you to have to swallow your pride. It's going to cause you to have to own it and take responsibility for your actions. See, if the remedy for anger is forgiveness, then the remedy for guilt is confession and asking for forgiveness. And so on the bottom of your paper, on the back there, here's what we need you to do. I'm going to walk you through this as practically as I can, and we're going to take communion. Here's the first question. Who is the person that you've offended? Who have you done wrong to and you haven't made it right? Who feels as though you owe them something? And I want you to list the ways in which you've offended the person. It can't be general. It can't be generic. You need to list how that person has offended you. And so, um, you know, when I deal with young people, and a lot of times people have great conflict with their parents, and they would say, man, I know that I've offended my parents. Well, how did you offend them? Did you have broken promises? Um, You know, like what happened here? So who have you offended? And then, sorry, let me look at that. Number two, it's list the ways that person's offended you. So who's offended you? Let's say it's uh, my dad's, I've offended my dad. All right, you guys know my dad, you know. Um, And and so I want to list the ways in which my dad has offended me. Um, I I don't know how to best describe this. If we drew a pie chart, big circle, and I was to ask you how much of the tension in your relationship is your fault, a lot of you would probably be like, I don't know. I think probably 90% of it's his fault, you know. 10 per- I'll take 10%, but 90% of it was his fault. In fact, my 10% might even have happened if it wasn't for his 90%. All right, I get the attitude. But what we want to do right now is we're going to say, okay, fine. We like your percentages. It was 99% his fault and 1% your fault. What was his fault? What was the offense that he had? Okay, that's number one. Did he break a promise to you? Did he accuse you of something? Did he show favoritism and love your sister more than he loved you by buying her Firebird and not you. Like, what was it, you know? Um, was there inconsistency? <laughs> Just as an example. Um, did he discipline you in anger? You know, what was the offense that was on his part, okay? Um, and, and then, you know, what we then need to do, all right, step number three is list the ways in which you might have offended him or her by your words, actions, attitudes, or things by that you failed to do for him or her. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to identify, all right, I do think my dad offended me in this way, but I think that my attitude towards him wasn't right. When I said that little snippy line to him in my words, that wasn't right. I was disrespectful to him here. I actually talked bad about him behind his back to my friends and put him in a bad light. I'm going to list the ways that I have offended my, my father, if that's the case. And then uh, I'm going to look at number four there. Which of the following might he be accusing me of? All right, I'm going to try to put myself in his shoes. And if he feels something's owed to him, what would he be accusing me of? I put a whole list on your paper there. 
You can just circle some. You can fill in the blank. Deception, willfulness, impurity, argumentation, stinginess, carelessness, disrespect, inconsistency, impatience, disorganization, irresponsibility, disloyalty, wastefulness, tardiness, intolerance, impulsiveness, pride, ungratefulness, rudeness, anger. I don't know. Take your pick. Okay. What might he be accusing you of? And number five is when we're going to come back to our pie chart. What percentage of the conflict is your fault? I don't care if you say, well, it's just 1% my fault. Okay. Would you purpose in your heart to ask for forgiveness for what you know is your fault? Will you own the 1%? Okay, we got to own it on you. I got to take responsibility for it. I've done him wrong. I want to go and I want to make it right. And so we move on. Number six, in question number four, we listed the ways in which you might have offended the person, but now we want to kind of just make it basic. Was it an attitude, an action, a word, or just your simple negligence? You just didn't do what you knew you were supposed to do. Okay, what's the basic offense? And then what you need to do is you need to work out the right wording because you're going to go and you're going to ask for forgiveness. That's the next step. That's where we're going to be. We're not going to continue to let it linger. We're going to work on the right questions and the right wording that we're going to say here. So what we're going to do is we work on the right wording. And, and I've suggested some wording here for you. And so what you could simply say as you walk to somebody is you could say, God has convicted me of how wrong I was in my attitude towards you when I and you become specific. If you ask for general forgiveness, you'll get general forgiveness. But if you want specific forgiveness, you need to be specific. Identify the offense. I know I don't deserve your forgiveness, but would you forgive me? That last question is the best part. When you ask for forgiveness, you're not just saying, hey, remember that time I hurt your feelings? I'm sorry. You didn't ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry. You just quit it. But I'm sorry. Okay, nobody cares. Would you forgive me? You are asking this other person to cancel the debt that they feel is owed to them. Would you forgive me for this? And when you do this, I think you need to use the appropriate method. And I didn't put this on your paper. But the best way to ask for forgiveness is face-to-face. Look them in the eyes, humble yourself, say, hey, I need to talk to you. God's convicted me of the time that I, I did you wrong. And I know I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I, I want to ask if we can make this right. Don't, don't put it in a text message. There's no reason to document it. Don't put it in a letter. Don't put it in an email. You're asking them to cancel the debt, so why are you documenting it? Let's have a conversation face-to-face. And, 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 and listen... It's possible that when you ask for for this forgiveness, that the person may refuse. That doesn't change your disposition at all. You don't get to say, will you forgive me? And they say, no. And you go, well, forget it then. Okay, well, you weren't genuine. (laughs) You were a little faker trying to therapeutic yourself. No, no. When we ask for them to forgive us, it's not for us as much as it is for them. So we don't know if that person that we've offended, if they're hanging on to this and they're carrying a baggage of anger and they're not able to receive from God all that God has for them because of this offense. And I want to go and I want to release this tension from them. I want to set them up to be more open to who God is. And so we need to determine the right words, and if a refusal to forgive comes, number one, you need to check your own heart. Am I genuinely repentant? Number two, is restitution needed? When I was 16, I wrecked my car in the church parking lot. I hit this other guy's car. 
I'm sorry, that didn't cut it. I needed to pay for his car to be fixed. Restitution was needed. I took something from him. I needed to pay that back. You may find in a relationship, you've done someone wrong and restitution is needed. That might be why they refuse to forgive. In fact, another reason that someone might refuse to forgive you is because they want to see a change in your behavior. Okay, I'm going to say I forgive you and you're going to do the same thing to me again. You dirty, rotten snake. Okay. I'm not going to be mad about that. I did them wrong. I caused them to not trust me. I need time to prove to them that I'm sincere and genuine. And truth of the matter is, everybody thinks time heals everything. Time doesn't heal anything. It just covers it up and lets it grow roots and it gets deeper in your soul. So as we wrap up today, because we are out of time, a book that I would recommend, I haven't done book recommendations in a while. There's a book that Andy Stanley wrote that's called Enemies of the Heart. And he talks about guilt, anger. And he goes on to talk about greed and jealousy. And they're things that will hold you back from God's potential for you. So I would recommend that book. Also, the late Tim Keller wrote a book called Forgive. And takes a very in-depth scholarly look at forgiveness from the Bible's perspective. And I would also recommend that. If you would, let's go ahead and take our communion elements uh, there's a, a tab at the top. There's also a cellophane piece of paper. You want to take the cellophane back first, remove the bread, then you can pull the larger tab, and that'll expose the juice. So as you guys are preparing that, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is both truth and love. And whenever he spoke, he spoke the truth in love. But when we become Christians, what we are saying is that we are being united with Christ, which means that I am being united with truth and I'm being united with love. And so if there's a place in me in which I am unwilling to love someone and forgive them, then I have to say that you're probably not united with Christ because Christ is love and he is truth. And so as we approach communion, as we ingest these elements that represent the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, we are saying, Christ, I want to be one and united with you. And that means that we want to be fully embracing the truth, that we want to fully embody what love is. It's not love on our terms. It's just as Christ loved us. It's a different way of loving. And so as we partake of communion today, this is a physical reminder that we are to be united with Christ, that there's no separation between him and me. We are all one. He is in me and I in him. And that I have chosen to deny myself, pick up my cross, and I follow him daily. He's the author, the perfecter of my faith. He's the champion who went before me. He's the one who has a race for me to run. I am united with him, and it's through his power that I move forward. And so as we recognize who he is, and we unite ourselves to him, we remember the price that he paid so that we could sit in this room, that we could simply pray and ask for forgiveness, that we could be united with God the Father in faith because of the payment that Jesus paid on the cross. And so as we take our piece of bread, we hold it and we say, God, thank you for allowing your body to be broken on a cross for the sins of the world that we deserved. God, we deserved the cross, but Lord, you took it for us and we thank you for that and we receive your payment on the cross as we take the bread and eat. And in the same way, Christ's blood was shed on the cross as a covering for our sin, for our transgressions, for the wrongs that we've done. And so, Lord, we, again, 
are united with you, and we desire for your blood to cover our sins and to make us new. We are one with you. Let us partake of the juice. And then, in your heart, let us just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.